Okay, let me start recording on my phone. Okay, good evening, everyone. Welcome back. I hope everyone had, is having a nice break. Um, and we are into our fourth shiur on uh, the fundamentals of Hilchot Shabbat. Over the last three shiurim, we've gone through the basic principles of halachic uh, decision-making in Hilchot Shabbat. We talked about the Melechet Mahshevet, and in the most recent shiur, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about Mitzkayem, the, the necessity of a melacha being permanent in order to be hayav. We talked about it has to be mitaken, it has to be productive. We talked, um, we, we have talked about, uh, uh, we talked about shinui. It can't be done in a different than regular manner. Those were all the basic principles. There are many more principles which we need to go through, but I think we're now going to, over the next three weeks, touch on the important halachot, practical halachot of the Shabbat. And then in the final shiur, we will go back to, again, principles. Um, uh, but over the next three shiurim, I want to focus on practical halachot. And of course, you know, you can't cover... Um, the 39 Melachot in, uh, in such a small amount of time. So I want to do is go through a bunch of Melachot which will apply what we have learned. Secondly, Melachot where there are stark differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim. And thirdly, Melachot which, in which there are misconceptions. People commonly think that the Halacha is X, but really it's not like that. So that's the reason I've chosen to discuss tonight three melachot, which are kosher, tying. Secondly is zorea, planting. And thirdly is shochet, slaughtering. So there's no, you know, it's no, in no particular order. As I said, these are three melachot in which we can apply what we have learned up till tonight. Uh, melachot in which there are big differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim. And thirdly, melachot, in which there are common misconceptions, and we will go through them uh, through these uh, three melachot. Now, because this is application of what we've learned, um, we're going to try to make this interactive and try to, um, you know, I would love it if people can, you know, chime in with what they think is, is the halacha and the various scenarios which we will go through, um, and to try to make this a kind of also discussion and as always any questions feel free to to ask so you should all have the source sheet the source sheets in the chat box in the uh, chat box um i'm going to open it now and i'll share the screen <clears throat> and we will get going so kosher kosher is one of the 39 milachot kosher means to tie and Whenever we talk about kosher tying, the same applies to untying. So this is a very important point when it comes to untying, is that anything which kosher applies to the knot, then untying it applies to it in the same level. If it was a biblical knot, then untying it will be biblically forbidden. If it's a, a rabbinic knot, then untying it will be forbidden rabbinically. And if it's a knot which you're allowed to tie, then you'll also be allowed to untie it on Shabbat. So that's always we have to bear in mind. We're only going to be talking about kosher, but the same will apply to untying these kinds of knots as well. So what was kosher in the Mishkan? 
Kosher and the Mishkan, they used to, two reasons given the Rishonim where Kosher was used. One explanation given is that in order to um, trap, one of the, the roofs of the Mishkan had the dye of the Hilazon, of this creature, a kind of fish maybe. And in order to get this fish, you had to use a net. So to use this net, um, to make a net, you had to make knots, obviously, in making the net. And the second explanation given is that part of the weaving process of the roof of the Mishkan, um, in order to for the weaving process to be continuous, when the board of thread came to an end, which they were using to weave, then they, the next board of thread was knotted onto it. So two explanations of what the kosher exactly was in the Mishkan, but certainly there was kosher in the Mishkan, and that's what we're going to be delving into this evening. So the Mishnah tells us very clearly in Shabbat, This is number one on the source sheet. These are the knots which a person is hayav from the Torah if he makes them. The knots of a camel driver and the knots of a sailor. Now, these knots, so let's talk about Kesher Gamalim, the camel driver. So what you would do is you would take a round kind of knot, tie it around the, uh, the, no, the nostril, the nose of the camel. Uh, and that would be a permanent knot. You would do this once and hopefully only once. And then whenever you needed to, you needed to park the camel, then you would tie another thing on this nose ring. And the nose ring would stay permanent, but then you know, wherever you're tying the camel to, then you would tie and untie whenever you needed to park the camel then, or, or, or get going. So the actual knot around the nose of the camel, that was a knot which was done permanently and you did it you know, once, you know, or if it broke or something like that, you'd have to do a second time. But generally speaking, this would last for years upon years, this knot. The same as the Keshera Sapanim, the knot of the sailors. They would, be, they would tie at the end of the boat um, a, again, this round kind of knot around the boat. And then once they've made this knot, then they would anchor the boat using this knot. They would tie something to it. They would they'd put the anchor on it. And again, this knot would last permanently. Now, this is why you can't always rely on Safaria translations, because if you have a look here in the, in the Safaria, it says a camel's driver's knot and a sailor's knot as they are permanent. So the Rif and the Rambam would disagree with this translation, and we will see why. So the Gemara brings three bright thoughts um, which contradict each other with regards to tying a shoe. So the Gemara says, Tani hada hayab chatat. One brighter says it's prohibited by the Torah. The second brighter says this is only forbidden rabbinically. Remember, Chayav is the Oraita, Patur is the Rabbanan. But have a third brighter, Mutar Lechatehila, it's actually, actually permissible. So, three kinds of knots. One of them is forbidden from the Torah, second one is forbidden by the Hachamim, third one is permissible. So, the Gemara gives an answer on how to explain these three brightos. And in the explanation of the, Gemara, the Gemara's answer, there is a Mahlokit Rishonim. So the Rif explains that the critical factor is that a knot has to be identical to a Kesher Gamalim and Kesher Sapanim. 
what's the what's the cricket critical factor of a camel driver or a sailor's knot they have two aspects firstly they are permanent as we said you tie these knots once and then that's it and secondly they are a craftsman they are professional these knots are only done by experts these are not knots which regular people can make only experts make them the camel driver a sailor or you're making a, a net for for uh, uh, a net to, to, to fish with these kinds of knots are permanent and they also um have to they are made in a professional way only when you have these two criteria is it then a melacha from the torah if however you lack one of these two criteria that means either it's a permanent knot or the permanent knot isn't a professional knot or it's a knot which is a professional knot sorry i said either it's a professional knot which is not permanent or it's a permanent knot which is not professional. If you have one of the two criteria, then it's a sur from the hachamim. Then the third category are melachot, are kinds of knots which are not permanent and not professional. So they are in no way identical to gamalim or sapanim. Then they are permissible to be made on Shabbat and of course to be untied as well. So that's how the riff explains these three braitot. One says hayav, one says patur, and the third one says mutar. What's the difference? The answer is, is that if it's a, identical to keshera gamalim, which is both permanent and professional, it's done by a craftsman, then it's hayav. If it lacks one of these two criteria, i.e. it's either professional and not permanent in any sense, or it's permanent but not professional in any sense, it's a sur from the hachamim, if it's neither, i.e. it's not professional, it's not done for a period of time, then it's mutar to be made on Shabbat. Which is why I said the translation of Safaria isn't precise. Because here they say, as they are permanent, that's not sufficient for the Rif. It has to be permanent and a professional knot. When they translate it as they are permanent, they were following the opinion of Rashi and the Rosh. Rashi and the Rosh say it's got nothing to do with the professional knot or not. The important factor is permanent or not permanent. That's all, that's all that matters. Keshara Gamalim and Keshara Sapanim are kinds of knots which are typically done for a permanent period of time. And that's why they are Hayav. So as long as it's permanent, even if it's not a professional knot, if it's a permanent knot, then it's a sur from the Torah. If it's a semi-permanent knot, so it's not done permanently, but it's done for a long period of time, then it's similar to the Kesher Gamalim, and therefore it's a sur by the Hachamim. If it's a kind of knot which is so transient, then it's mutar to be made. So this ties in slightly to what we learned last time about mitkayem, permanent, how permanent it has to be. But something which is so unpermanent, so transient, then it's actually mutar to be made, to be tied and untied on Shabbat. Now, what does so transient mean? We'll see in a moment how long that is. But this is important to understand. There are two ways. So how long is permanent? Okay, so Noah, wait a bit and we'll answer that question. So that's how the Rashi and the Rosh understand. So according to Rashi and Rosh, it's got nothing to do with how professional or 
unprofessional than ours is. It's all got to do with permanence. The Mishnah talked about Gamalim and Sapanim, the camel driver and the sailor, because these typically are knots which are done for a permanent time. But that's the factor. If it's permanent, Hayav, semi-permanent, Drabbanan, non-permanent at all, and not even semi-permanent, then it's Mutar complete. Three ways of, uh, three different kinds of permanence. Now, how is the Rambam Posek? The Rambam, let's look at the source sheet. The Rambam says very clearly, so this is in uh, chapter 10. If you tie a permanent knot and it's a professional knot, only then is it a sur from the Torah. Which we've talked about. And the knots which the cobble makers make whilst they're making the shoe. Whilst they are making the shoe, they have to make these knots in the making of the shoe. These knots are permanent, and therefore you are hayab, because it's permanent, and it's a professional kind of knot done by a craftsman, by a, uh, by a, by a cobbler. Aval kosher kayama uman patur. If you tied a permanent knot, but it's not professional, then it's only a sur from the hachamim, and here, if you have a look at the end of Halachabet, the Chol Kesher Sheinoshet Kayama, if it's not permanent, Im Kesharo Kesher Uman Hareze Asur, it's also Asur from the Hachamim. So here he lists both scenarios where it's Asur from the Hachamim. That's when you only have one of the two criteria, i.e., it's either permanent but not professional, or professional but not in any way permanent, the actual act of making a professional knot is a sword from the hachamim. The third category, he says here, you're allowed to make a knot which is not professional and not permanent, you're allowed to tie and untie that. Ketzad. If your strap broke and you tie it, if it's a a rope, and you retied it. patur. These are patur. Why? Because they're done for a permanent time, but they're not professional. These are knots which are done for a long time. They're done permanently, but they are regular knots. They're not they're They're not professional. Then it's a sore from the hachami. But if it's not professional and it's not permanent in any sense, then it's mutar to be made on Shabbat. Is that clear? So that's the opinion of the Rif and the Rambam, that the critical factors with to be Dorite has to be two, permanence and professional. You lack one of these two, then it's only a sur from the hachamim. You, have, you don't have both, then it's mutar. Whereas, according to Rashi and the Rosh, it's all about time. Professional, not professional, makes a difference. If it's a long time, permanent, hayav. Semi-permanent, drabbanan. Non-permanent at all, mutar. Now, according to Rashi and the Rosh, what's non-permanent? We'll see that in a moment. How would you expect the Shuhan Aruch to rule? Obviously like the Rif and the Rambam. So, the Shuhan Aruch is posek in 317. etc. Et He's quoting the Rambam here. 
So he's posek straight out like this from the Rambam, and then he writes, if it's not permanent, it's not professional, you'll have to tie it in the first instance. So the Shohan Aruch clearly is posek like the Rif and the Rambam, as we would expect. Now let's stop here and just ask for a moment. According to this, what would you say? According to the Shohan Aruch, according to the Rambam, according to the Rif, if I make a regular overhand, which is not a professional knot, or I make a double knot, which seemingly isn't a professional knot, and I make it for a month. Is that permissible or not? So I'm tying something in the, in the freezer, a bag in the freezer. I want to tie it with a knot or a double knot. It's not a professional knot. I'm putting it in the freezer, my halot, and I'm going to take it out in two, three weeks' time. Is that mutar or asu? What would you say according to the Rif and the Rambam and the Shohan Aruch? Again, we want to make this interactive. So, you know, if quick responses. If anyone wants to suggest something, great. If not, we'll move on. Rob, why Asur? Can you hear me? Yeah, why? Why Asur? Um, I just get the impression that they would hold that to, I guess, as a bit as a bit of a guess, but I think that a month is quite a long time. It just seems to me to be quite permanent. Something Again. like... Otherwise, like, you, I guess if you consider it to be lasting on Shabbat or lasting past Shabbat, um, yeah, it's again, but according, to, according to Rambam, in order to be Hayab, you need two, two factors. It has to be both permanent and also professional. Permanent means permanent. Permanent means like the Gamalim Sapanim, you tie it once. This is, you know, it touches on what Noah asked earlier on. You know, what is permanent? Permanent means a long time. It means that you're not going to, you know, you don't have any plans to untie this in the foreseeable future. If something happens and you need to untie, you untie it. But, you know, this is a kind of not the camel driver, the sailor, the cobbler is making the shoe. This is a knot when you're making the shoe. You're not going to untie this for years. For most likely, you'll never untie it. Only when you have both criteria, then it's a sur from the Torah. If you have one, either professional or permanent, then it's a sur banan. But if it's not permanent, i.e. it's not forever, and it's also not a professional knot, it should be mutar which would mean that the vast majority of knots, which people say are asur on Shabbat, are mutar, really. This is why I said I want to go through the melachot, which there are misconceptions about, and which there's a big difference between Sfaradim and Ashkenazim. And this is one of the big melachot. Because according to the Rif and the Rambam, the Shohan Aruch, is very, it's very difficult in day-to-day -day at home to transgress a melacha from the Torah and even from the Hachamim when it comes to kosher. Because you're going to have to make the knot permanently, or it's going to have to be professional knot to be a sur. If I am making a regular knot uh, and I'm you know, sealing some food, if you're making a knot to seal food, then obviously you plan to untie that. Yeah, maybe in a month, maybe in three months' time. But it's still not permanent. It's for food. It's obviously not permanent. It's also not a professional knot. So it should be mutar. This was the opinion of the Ma'amar Mordechai. The Ma'amar Mordechai, this, I'll tell you something interesting about this, uh, about Ma'amar Mordechai. Uh, yes, so those who answered in the chat that it's mutar, um, correct. Abuka, correct, it's mutar. Jack, no, he says it both ways round, Jack. He says it both ways round. He says it, but I'll show you, he says it both ways round. He says, the, the Rambam says it both ways round. He writes that, 
קושר קשר שקיימה ואינו מעשה אומן פטור, that's permanent but not professional, and then he says also, קשר שאינו של קיימה, Okay, he does say that Shohan Aruch says it both ways around. The Rambam doesn't, but Shohan Aruch doesn't. Shohan Aruch does, let me show you. Yeah, so it's both ways around. Both, if it's either professional or permanent, then it's Asu. Now the Ma'amar Mordechai, the Mordechai Karmi, he was a contemporary of the Hida, he lived in France. And he wrote a book called Ma'amar Mordechai. I'll tell you something very funny. And he asked the Hida to write him a Haskama, an approbation on his book. And the Hida had heard of him, and he wrote, writes a glowing approbation for him. You can see this in the front of Ma'amar Mordechai from Yosef Hayim David Azurai. This is 200 years ago or so plus. A beautiful approbation for him. He says, the truth is I didn't read the book. But I know about him, and he's a, a glowing, he writes about him in glowing terms. He says, fantastic guy, I give my first gamat to this, to this book. What he didn't know, because he didn't read the book, is that the book ha- was very critical of the Hida's book, Mahzik Baracha. The Hida also wrote a book on Orachayim, also on Echot Shabbat. And the book was called Mahzik Baracha. And Ramamar Dechai constantly criticizes him in the book. <laughs> so the Hida later came to his attention and he actually wrote another book defending his criticisms from the Mama Mordechai, which he called the Birke Yosef. That's why there's two, if, if you notice the Hida, there's two books of the Hida on Shabbat, on Orachayim, right? There's Mahzik Brachan and Birke Yosef. So in the second one, he's, he's, he's refuting the criticisms. Um, but that just shows you, um, you know, you only give Haskama when you read the book, because otherwise uh, you, you never know what you're signing on to. In any case, so the Ma'amah Mordechai and many other Ahronim say that as long as it's not permanent, it's not professional, it's mutar. Which would mean any kind of knot which you make at home, which isn't a professional knot, not a craftsman knot, and it's not for a long time, should be mutar to make. That's the simple reading of the Rambam. And, you know, I would, exp- you know, if anyone disagrees with that, please let me know. But that's, that's very clearly what, what, what seems to be in the Rambam, the Shohan Aruch. That's what the Bi'ur Halakha writes as well. He says, Even if it's made for a period of time, if it's not Kayama, it's Mutar, according to the Shohan Aruch and the Rambam. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment. But the Ramah is posek like Rashi and the Rosh. So the Ramah is posek that it's got nothing to do with craftsmen or not. It's got to do with permanence. If it's permanent, it's a sur from the Torah. If it's semi-permanent, it's a sur from the Hachamim. If it's not permanent at all, it's mutar. What does that mean? So the Ramah writes, <clears throat> So what's clear is, according to Rashi and the Rosh, beyond seven days is already a sur from the Hachamim, even a regular knot. A simple overhand knot that's more than seven days is going to be definitely a sur from the Hachamim. Less than seven days is a mahloket. Some say 
less than seven days is mutar. Some say even less than seven days, as long as it's more than 24 hours, it's prohibited. And this is why the Ashkenazim will tell you that any not, you read any summary book or you know you go to a shiur of the Chod Shabbat, they will tell you that any knot which you make on Shabbat has to be untied within 24 hours. And when you're making the knot, you must have in mind that you're making the knot with the intention to untie it within 24 hours. Why? Because they are following the Ramah. The Ramah, who follows Rashi and the Rosh, that it's not got to do with professionalism. It's got to do with permanence. If it's permanent forever, Hayav. Semi-permanent, Dirabbanan. And that's going to be anything more than seven days or 24 hours. It's a mahlokit, but they take on the more mahmir opinion. Less than 24 hours is mutah, which is why they will tell you, you want to tie your shoelace on Shabbat, you need to make sure to have in mind to untie it after Shabbat or within 24 hours. That's what the Ashkenazim hold. But for us, as we said, the Rambam says very clearly, and the Shohana Ruch, that it's, it's, you need two criteria. And if you don't have both criteria, then it's only a so from the Hachamim. And as I said, the Ma'amah Mordechai, Rabbi Akiva Eger, and many others, they all say that if it's not permanent and it's not professional, it's mutar to make. However, there is another opinion who understands the Rambam that even if it's not professional and it's not permanent, it's still a sword from the Hachamim. This was the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch Harav, the Ba'alatanya. And it's not definitely not the simple reading of the Rambam, which is why I struggle with it, and why I struggle even more with is Hacham Vadia is Hoshesh for this opinion. And therefore, Hacham Vadia says that when tying a knot, you should have in mind to untie it within seven days. He's not Mahmir to the 24 hours, because that he says is a Sfek Sfeka, it's like three Sfekot there. He says seven days you can. But I find this very interesting personally how he, you know, how he doesn't allow it more than seven days. Um, because the simple reading of Arambam and the Shuhan Aruch is it's mutar even more than seven days. And that's the opinion of many Ahronim. But nonetheless, he's Mahmir in the first instance that you should have in mind when you tie a knot within seven days to untie it. For Ashkenazim, though, they are generally particular to untie within 24 hours. Now, let's take this. Let's translate this all into practical examples. So <clears throat> let's start with tying shoes. We'll also talk about Sefer Torah, yeah? the Ashkenazi and Spanish and Portuguese Sefer Torah, where they have the knots. We have to talk about that as well. But I think let's talk about uh, tying your shoelaces. So shoelaces, how are they made? You make a, a single knot and then a bow on top. Now, same goes for neckties, yes. And, and you'll see why, again, this is a big misconception when it comes to shoelaces and ties. Because the Shuhan Aruch writes very clearly in Halakha Hei, mutar delav A bow is permitted because it's not a kesher, it's not a knot. A knot has to be untied with manipulation. A bow, though, you just slip it. Any kind of knot where you just slip it out, a slip knot, that's a bow, that, he says, is not a kesher, and you're allowed to make it. And the Ramah adds in, Even if you make a single knot underneath the bow, it's still mutar. This is exactly what a tying a shoelace is, a single knot, a shoelace. Single knot, one kesher, and then you do the bow on top. That, according to the Shuharuch and the Ramah, is mutar. That doesn't fall under the category of a, of a knot. 
and therefore without the mutar even permanently. The Mishnah Bara brings Ahronim who say that no, a bow is only permissible by itself. But they argue with the Rama, and they say that if you are tying a single knot and then a bow, then it's a sword. Have a look at the Mishnah Bara in 29. If you're tying a single knot and then a bow, it's a sword. And from this, they say that when tying a shoelaces, you must make sure to untie it within 24 hours. But just stop and think how many humrot there are involved here when you're being told not to, to untie your shoelaces in 24 hours. Number one, most likely this isn't a knot at all and can be made permanently because it's a single knot with a bow and the bow isn't considered a knot. Even if you want to take on like the Mishnah Burah Nahronim, that it is a knot because you have a single knot and then a bow, even if you want to take that on. Secondly, is that you're not going to do this permanently, right? You're going to un 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 you know, untie your shoes within, if it may not be a day, it'll be in a week, a few weeks' time, right? According to Mutar. So you're going to tell me, according to the Rashi and the Ramah, it's a problem. But even according to them, it's not clear whether it's 24 hours or seven days. So, you know, there are three Humrat here, there are three Sfekot here, in which to say it's Mutar, but nonetheless, that's the practice of Ashkenazim. Generally, they will tell you that you must untie to the, you must have intention to untie to within 24 hours. However, for us Faradim, there's no reason to be to be mahmi with this because it's a bow, therefore it's mutar. Even if you want to be mahmir and consider it a knot, you've got definitely seven days. And even beyond seven days, I would argue is permissible. And therefore, if you're doing your shoelaces and you're the kind of person who buys shoes, and then once you buy them, you do the you do you tie them once and then you slip and unslip them and you rarely untie them. You know, with if you have intention to untie within seven days, it's definitely mutar. Even more than that is mutar for us because it's a bow on a single knot. That's not considered a knot, and therefore it's mutar. So that we should bear in mind. Bows are mutar to be made and unmade on Shabbat, even with a single knot, and therefore shoelaces can really be made freely on Shabbat, um, even longer than seven days, arguably because it's not considered a knot at all. Is that clear so far? Yeah, any questions, feel free to, feel free to uh, unmute and ask. Um, now, what's the status of double knots? So comes along the Shittegi Borim. Shittegi Borim is in the 16th century um, from Italy. And he says, look, we don't really know what's professional, what's not professional. Therefore, let's assume that a double knot is considered a craftsman knot and should be a sur, even for a short period of time. And the Shuhana Aruch doesn't mention this, but the Ramah does. So the Ramah writes, Yesh li zaher shelol hatil shum kesheshu shek sharim zeharzeh, double knot. Zeinanu bekiim eze mikre kesheshel uman. Because we don't really know what it is. And that's the custom, says the Ramah, that we don't do make double knots because that may be a professional knot. And this is why the Ashkenazim will tell you that you're not allowed to make any double knot on Shabbat, even for a short period of time, because even for one minute, because if a double knot is a professional knot, then that means that according to Harambam, it's a sur from the Hachamim to make a professional knot even for a moment on Shabbat. However, the Hida dismisses this. And the Hida writes very clearly. He says, Katab Yosef, 
בגלילתנו פשט המנהג לקשור שני קשרים בחגרותו אשר במותיו שאינו של קיימה והוא של אידיוט. ולט דה תחשלה אלא מיותה דה מיותה דה ותלו מיותה. He says no one cares about it. He says very few people are particular about this. He says the minhag is to consider a double knot as being a non-professional knot. We don't get worried and think that every single kind of knot is potentially a professional knot. A double knot is not a professional knot. It's not something done by a craftsman. Therefore, you don't have to assume that's going to be a professional knot. And therefore, you may make double knots on Shabbat. And that's how our poskim take on. Ham Vadia, Ham Ben Sion, and others. Ben Ishai is Mahmir, Kedarko Bakodesh. But... Our poskim take on quite clearly that a double knot is not considered a professional knot and therefore may be made for the very least, at the very least, seven days uh, on Shabbat. So therefore tying your shoes with a double knot, if you're just tying your shoes regularly, then that, we, then that we said you can tie even longer than seven days. If you're doing a double knot though, then that would need to be, I have intention to untie it within seven days. In order not to be a surmi dirabbanan because of the because of the permanent aspect. Now, Sifre Torah. Now Ashkenazim have Sifre Torah, which they they tie with it, they you know they they knot it. And SMP had do the same with some Moroccan communities as well. So this question is more discussed by the Ashkenazipo scheme, which is why. The majority of them say you have to be careful what kind of knot and how long you tie it for, etc. You know, when it comes to tying these knots on Shabbat. But for us, Spanish and Portuguese, who have you know these knots, what kind of knots? What would you say? Let's hear from from you know, let's say from from what we've learned so far. What would you say? Can I tie the the bands on the Sefer Torah on Shabbat with the intention that next Shabbat we read from the Torah and we untie it? What would you say? Yes, you can tie it. It would be mutar, of course. Why not? Yeah. Even a double knot, according to what we've learned, would be mutar. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, oh, Alan, those I, I've never actually done this. You know, it's not a job which the rabbi does doing the doing the bands. I never actually done. Is it done with a bow, a single knot, and a bow? Is it not done with a double knot? No, not not a double knot. It's usually done with a single knot and a bow. So like a ah. shoe, like a shoelace. Okay, if that's the case, then it's absolutely fine. No, I always thought it was a double. I'm sure I've seen people doing double knots, but maybe, maybe. Okay, so you're right. If it's a simple, you know, knot and then a and then a a bow, like shoot, then that's fine. Um, The problem arises when you have when you have um, sefer Torah for the hagim, which is only taken out once a year, Rosh Hashanah. They have a special sefer Torah Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. So. So then you have an issue because that knot's going to be for a long time, seemingly. So, what, what would you, you know, what, what would you say about such a case? Would that be mutar if I'm tying it for on Sukkot and it's not going to be, it's not going to be untied till, uh, um, it's not going to be untied till next chag? Okay, what would you say about that? It's so, still fine, though. It's still fine. Why would it still be fine? Well, because the knot's not professional, it is, you still have intention to take it off later. It's not like it's going to be there for, you know, it's, it's going to be take up next hog when you use it. And that's Good. it. And it's, and it's not professional knot. Yeah. So you're right. According to a simple reading of Arambam, and the Shanach, you're right. But the problem is, Hanvadiyah is Mahmir to read into the Rambam 
that perhaps seven days is considered some kind of permanent. Jack, it's not going to be permanent. It's not going to, they're going to untie it. You mean according to this to the stricter reading in the Rambam, you mean, Jack? I guess. According so. to Harvard's reading, you're right. Sorry? You're saying permanent means they will never... Permanent means I have no intention to untie this in the future, in the foreseeable future. It may be in a year, it may be that, you know, I'll, I'll have to untie it in a few years' time, when a year's time, situ- I, when I'm tying it, I have no intention to uh, untie this. When you're tying the knot in the camel, when the sailor, you never have intention to untie it. This is your boat, this is your camel, and you're going to stick with this knot. Right. Okay. So, the problem with Kun who holds that more than, that you should be strict, lechatchila, uh, seven days, then you have a problem. Simple reading of Farambam and Shohan Aruch, I agree with you, Daniel, that you would be allowed to do it even from Chag to Chag. Um, but simple reading of, according uh, to would be a problem. However, it would still be permissible. It would still be permissible. The reason being is the Shohan Aruch, based on the Gemara, tells us that Tzorech Mitzvah, they permitted a Drabanan knot. So a Drabanan knot is permissible, the Tzorech Mitzvah. And some argue that to tie the Sefer Torah properly with a strong double knot is a Torah Mitzvah because you want to make sure that it's not going to shake around at all. Some argue that. And therefore, if we take that on, then you would be allowed to uh, uh, tie it. Even according to the stricter reading in Harabam, Shohan Aruch, you would be allowed to tie it for, a lot, for six months, more than seven days, because this is a Torah uh, Mitzvah and there will be Mutah. Therefore, the Halakha Lema'aseh is that one is allowed to tie even a double knot on a Sefer Torah, even if it's a Sefer Torah for Chag, you would be allowed to tie such a knot on, uh, uh, on Chag or on Shabbat. Even if it's not going to be used, but if it's a Sefer Torah which you are putting away for Gniza, right, then of course, that's a permanent knot, right? So that you're tying and that's not going to be untied. Um, so that would be a problem. But a regular Sefer Torah, it's going to be reused in the foreseeable future. Then it's fine. Rachel, of course, you know, that's what Ashkenazim rely on that they do is tie on Shabbat, untie Minha. Um, but yeah, so Jackson, no need to untie after the Chag. Yeah, correct. That's exactly what I'm saying. Based on all the factors which we've said, even a double knot I'm saying would be mutar. A double knot would be mutar to make for the Sefer Torah of the Chag, even if it's not going to be taken out for six months. Right? Of course, if you want to be Mahmir, there's lots to be Mahmir. You know, you could be Mahmir not to make a double knot. You could be Mahmir to have intention to untie it after the Chag. But as you've seen very clearly, it's mutar to do so uh, based on a number of reasons um, uh, to make such a knot on, on Shabbat and on Chag. Now, what can be a potential problem is comes to tzitzit. Sometimes <clears throat> the knot of your tzitzit becomes loose. Uh, and people don't even realize they're doing this. You know, during prayer, you see people doing this. They just tie it up again, right? So, you know, I'm talking about at the end of the tzitzit, right? The knot sometimes comes loose and then you can just, you know, pull it down and, and tie it. That would be a keshe. Now, that would obviously not a professional knot, but it's a regular knot, yeah? Although you may not know how to tie the tzitzit, uh, you know, uh, on your talit, it's not in any way a professional craftsman knot. Um, but though that that would be a permanent knot because again it may well be that uh, in a few months time you'll have to tie it again but it's a kind of knot which you're tying and it's going to stay there so that would be a sore to pull down 
and tie on Shabbat. Now here, there's a mahloket, whether if I have intention, if I tie a knot, which is normally left for permanent, permanence, and I have intention to untie it after Shabbat, whether that's permissible or not. The simple reading of the Rambam and the Shuhan Aruch is that that's not good enough. Because the Rambam writes, if you remember, he says, um, the Rambam writes, Normal people, they tie them permanently. Then it's a problem. So even if you have intention, I'm going to untie this after Shabbat, it's not going to help. Right? Same applies to the Eruv. If the knot of the Eruv has, has, if it has come down, the Eruv's come down, you want to uh, lift it up again. It's not going to help to have in mind that I'm going to untie this after Shabbat because it's typically done for permanence. And therefore, that would be a problem. So to tie your talit and say, have in mind, I'm going to untie this after Shabbat, that's not going to help. That would still be a sur mid rabbanan. Now, with the eruv, is a problem. Because the eruv, people are... Uh, 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 with the eruv, people are relying on it. And it's come down in the middle of Shabbat. So the Ashkenazim hold that you, have, you can ask a non-Jew to, to, uh, to do it. Because even though... It may be a suf from the Torah, but you're allowed to ask a goy to do something forbidden from the Torah, let's harabim, for the public. So, for example, you can ask a goy to switch on the lights, if necessary, for the synagogue, even though he may be doing a doraita, even if we consider lights doraita, even if we do. Um, you'd still be allowed to because it's for the tzibur, right? Um, but for us, it's even more simpler than that, because why, it, why is it even more sim simple than that to retie the Eruv knot? It would be the same because, thing for the Torah, though, because you have to do it to keep it safe and do that for the community. No, but could the Jew do it? Yes. Why could the Jew do it? Yeah, because the same way for the Torah, like you said before, you, you know, even if, because so. it's not very good, because it's not um, it's not a, a professional knot, it's kayama, so it's a sumid rabbanan. But the tzorech mitzvah, it's mutar to do a keshet rabbanan. Therefore, the tzorech mitzvah, people being able to carry, will be mutar to do so. So that's important to understand the difference between the two. So this is, you know, as you can see, quite complex, different ways of understanding what a kesher is hayav. Um, one final thing I will say, an interesting question. And then we'll wrap up kosher. We'll tie up kosher. Um, <laughs> uh, any any loose ends? Um, so one final thing is is when you um, let's say you are. This is a common question, by the way. Is let's say you are uh, tying up the rubbish the rubbish bin. You want to take out the rubbish bin. So you make a, a simple knot. That knot is never going to be untied. What would you say about such a knot? Would that be a sumi to tie such a knot? Because it's not a professional knot, but it's kayama seemingly, because you're tying it and chucking it out in the garbage. So, you know, it's not going to be untied again. So you could argue, and some do argue, that's a problem and you can't tie such a knot on Shabbat because it's a, per it's a permanent knot, even though you have no benefit from it. So it's a melacha shenatzichale gufa. It's going to be twice removed, the Rabbanan, because it's, yeah, it'll be twice removed, the Rabbanan. Nonetheless, it's still be assumed the Rabbanan. Um, 
So some prohibit it. Rabbi Shem Zalman says, interestingly, Aurobach, he says, interestingly, um, this is in um, this is in Shulchan Shlomo, Chelek Bet, page 139. Interestingly, he allows it. He wants to say that even though it's not going to be untied, but it's like it's it's like it's going to be untied because you have no interest in it. Um, it's like it's going to be untied automatically, and therefore he allows it. Okay, it's it's interesting svara, um, but he allows it. But that's just something interesting to bear in mind when throwing out the garbage. Some would advise not to actually tie it up because that may constitute a permanent knot. So to summarize what we've talked about, kosher in short is that. There are two major explanations in the Rishonim, how we view the Melachah of Kosher, and there are ramifications, what's mutar to do. According to the simple reading of Arambam and Shohana Ruch, one is allowed to make a knot which is not professional, like a double knot even. One's allowed to make a double knot, certainly up to seven days, um, certainly up to seven days, and perhaps even longer than seven days is permissible to make a knot. Therefore, you're tying the food up, uh, you know, you can put in the freezer, after seven days is certainly mutar for Sfaradim, perhaps even more than seven days is mutar, arguably. Um, and the Shkenazim hold has to be done 24 hours. It has to be untied within 24 hours, or at least have intention to untie it within 24 hours. Um, <clears throat> shoelaces, we've said, are mutar to do even longer than seven days for sure, because it's not considered a knot. Uh, Ashkenazim are particular to untie it within seven days. Um, and uh, we've said also when there's a mitzvah involved, such as a Sefer Torah, then it would be permissible to do a double knot um, even for a long time, as long as it's going to be untied in the, in the foreseeable future, it would be mutar to make such a knot. Okay, are there any other questions on this? Um, so Jack asks, a single knot for rubbish is okay. So yeah, a single knot without anything on top, with, you know, with a bow on top, correct. Correct, Jack. Yeah, that, that, that's a good, good point. I'm talking about double knot or other kinds of knots which you would make. That would be a problem. That, that's the discussion, at least. But if you just make a simple single knot and throw it out in the bin, that's absolutely mutar. Do you think Sfaradim Quran the Ramah says a single knot plus bow is not a knot? Yeah, I think so. Um, because I think the, the Shoharach is saying, because think about it, a single knot in itself is nothing. A bow is nothing as well. And, you know, even though the, the, the chidush of the Haronim is because they're coming together, it's not part of the heter of a bow, right? I, I you know, I, if I would imagine that uh, a bow, that I think we can rely on the Ramah, B'tziruf at least, certainly. You know, I've only relied on it, B'tziruf, other things. Certainly we could rely on it. Um, Simon asks, Talit and Erova not a cape Tzorich Mitzvah. Well, Talit, is that Tzorich Mitzvah? I don't know how much of a tzorch mitzvah it is to do that, Simon, because, you know, the mitzvah of tzitzit, you only need to have one knot. As long as you have one knot at the bottom, that's, that's the mitzvah of tzitzit. Yeah, people think you need to have the whole thing. That's not. One knot at the bottom, is the mitzvah, that's the mitzvah of tzitzit. Everything else is a nice thing, you know, 39, 26, all different kinds of calculations. I don't know if that would constitute a tzorch mitzvah. A roof certainly would. I'm not sure if talit would constitute a tzorch mitzvah. Um, and Rob asks, the last seal you know, becomes loose every day, needs to be retired every day. Assuming it's not a problem for Ashkenazim too. True, if it's that kind of knot which becomes very loose and quickly, then true. I'm talking about you know a, a knot where you tie it, it comes loose every few months, and you tie it, and then that's it. And that would be a problem, and you shouldn't do that on Shabbat, even with the intention to untie it after Shabbat. Okay, good. That's kosher.
Oh, we've got a lot to get through. So let's do Zorea now, okay? Let's talk about Zorea. We may go slightly over time. Just We'll go up to 9.40, if that's okay with everyone. We'll go up to 9.40. Um, so Zorea. Again, this is another misconception. Flowers on Shabbat. Are you allowed to put flowers into the water on Shabbat? So again, people will tell you, you have to make sure you, have, you put your flowers in the water before Shabbat. So let's go through this. <clears throat> so Zorea is one of the 39 Melachot. Um, of course, it was part of the process, the first 11 Melachot, part of the process of making bread, of planting. So the seeds for the bottom roof, for the, the dyes for the bottom roof, the Mishkan. Zorea is clearly a Melacha. Now, a tolada of Zorea is to, I'm going to quickly say, I'm going to digress for a moment because it's an important principle. The difference between avot and toladot, the Rambam classifies in chapter seven, the difference between an av and a tolada. Now, for all practical purposes, really today, it really makes no difference if something is an av or a tolada. Tolada means it's an offspring because they are both forbidden by the Torah. It's a bad mistake to think that a tolada is a sur midrabbanan only. Absolutely not. A tolada is forbidden by the Torah. The only difference is with regards to, in times of the Mishkan, bringing korbanot. You would bring one korban or two korbanot. However, it's, you know, for today, it doesn't really make a difference whether it's an av or a tolada. But what is an av or a tolada? Rabbam explains that any melacha which is exactly the same as the Mishkan, or very similar as an Av. So, Horesh or Hofer, if you plow or you dig, or say Haritz, or you make a, uh, make a groove, that's all forms of diving, digging, and therefore that's an Av Melacha. Similarly, if you plant seeds, or you plant a tree, that, he says, is the same as planting. It doesn't have to be planting literally seeds. Also, planting a, a tree, or, or grafting trees together. That's a typical act of planting and therefore that would be an av whereas watering that's forbidden by the torah but it's only a tolada because it's not the same as actually planting in the ground itself therefore that's that's a tolada not an av okay that's briefly the difference between an av and a tolada and therefore to water the grass on shabbat um, is going to be a sur from the Torah, but only as a Torah. As I said, that makes no practical ramifications today without the Beit HaMikdash. But you have to be careful when eating outside in the summer, um, eating outside, that you don't pour water on the grass. What happens if a person pours water on the grass? He's got, let's say a person is having a picnic in the garden and you're doing the Tilati Adayim. Okay? And a person does it at Adayim and pours it on the grass. What's, what's the problem with that? Based on what we've learned in previous shurim, who can tell us? Is there a problem with that? What would be the problem with that? Psikresha. Okay, but, but okay, psik, clarify more. Psikresha, fine. You're only intending to wash your hands, but the you're un, in, invariably going to wash the grass as well. But do you have any benefits? Do you have any benefits? You're in your friend's garden. There are no benefits that I can see. Okay, so what would what's the halakha? What did we say? with the we said is a sur. This is a psikreshedeloni hale. You've got no interest, but it's a doraita, and therefore it's not mutar. Good jack. If it would be the rabbanan, we would have allowed it, but because it's a psikreshed with a doraita, even it's loni hale, 
it's not mutar. Therefore, you would not be allowed to wash your hands on the grass. Similarly, you would not be allowed to pour, you know, you have ha half a cup of water and someone brings out a new drink. You wouldn't be allowed to pour the cup of water onto the grass and then refill your cup. Even though I've got no interest, it's a psikra, shed the lonely hale with the sword from the Torah and therefore would be forbidden to do so. Would I be allowed to wash my hands on the concrete and then that to trickle down onto the grass? Why would that be mutar? Why would that be mutar? Hannah? I think it's because it's not a direct action. So Very good. Secret share with the grammar. Yeah, like we learned in previous shuri. Again, this is why I said in the first shuri, when you, once you have the principles which we discussed, this is all a practical application. So you would be allowed to uh, pour and then it, it trickles down because uh, that is a, a grammar. It's not happening intention. Um, so that's something to be aware of in the summer months. Uh, you should know that it only applies to water. Pouring wine, or even the Shaharok talks about urine, uh, your person is allowed to urinate on grass um, because that only water is, is forbidden, but, um, um, but wine and um, drinks which are not water, you are allowed to pour onto grass. I'm not sure about you know, drinks today because they have so much water in them. Um, probably it would be a sort to pour that onto, onto the grass. Um, but that's, that's something to think about at least. Now, when it comes to uh, flowers on Shabbat, so here, let's see this. Again, this is another misconception. Going to mute everyone. Someone's not on mute. I'm done. I'm, I'm not the host. So I can't mute. Can everyone just mute themselves, please? Um, so the Ramah writes Mutar lehamid ilanot beShabbat. You are allowed to put flowers into the water on Shabbat. As long as there are no um, flowers which will open from the water. So according to the Rema, he's quoting someone called the Maharil. Mahari Moli from Germany, 13th century or so. Israel Moli. Um, and he says that you can't put flowers into the vase of water if the flowers are closed. So you buy beautiful roses and hopefully you're buying closed roses. And you're putting, you know, you can't put that and you just come home late before Shabbat, you throw them onto the sofa and then Shabbat comes, you want to put it into the vase. Are you allowed to do that? So according to the Ramah, you're not allowed to. Because putting it into the water, it's going to cause the roses to open up. Now this is very strange, extremely strange. Uh, because one of the fundamental principles of Zorea is that it only applies to something attached to the ground, not detached. Um, because Zorea has to be, you know, once something has been detached, there's no longer Zorea. You, know, you can't, you, you know, if you have flowers lying around in the sink and you put water in, that's fine, right? So what on earth does this mean? And that's why many Ahonim throw this out. The Maharikash, Yaakov Castro, he says, Yesh Misha Oser Lamit Prahim Bishabbat. What's going on? He says, he says, he says, he says, this isn't, he says, no one is concerned about this. 
He says, because, you know, it's, it's not going to, the water isn't causing it to, to open. It's, it's in the water and that they naturally open. And there's no planting involved here. So this is a very difficult maharil to understand. And Nahorim explained that he never meant that it's really Zorea. What he meant is, is that it's nira'ak Zorea. It's a kind of, it looks like planting. Right? Because he puts it in the water and then it opens up, so it looks like a plant. Okay, you know, many Ahronim disagree with this. Um, how Vadya, interestingly, again, is Mahmir. And he says, in the first instance, you shouldn't put closed flowers into water on Shabbat. You shouldn't put closed waters. But those who do so, they have what to rely on, and I wouldn't object them doing so. But how Vadya is, is Mahmir, like the Ramah, not to put closed flowers into the water on Shabbat. However, even if you have open flowers, so let's say the flowers have been around for a few days, they're already opened, they're fully blossomed, or flowers which, which are not going to open. Um, still, the Ashkenazim will tell you there's a problem to put them in water on Shabbat. What's the problem? So, the Mishnah writes, I'm going to summarize it very, very briefly, but basically, there is a halakha in Ilkhot Lulav, that when you take the lulav out, you're allowed to put it back into water, but you're not allowed to, on Yom Tov, fill up new water and put the lulav in. It's a Mishnah in Sukkah, actually. And the reason being for this is it's tirha. Tirha means a bother. Now, there's a mahrokit yishonim, what the, what the bother with doing something bothersome on Shabbat is. Rashi is of the opinion that it's a derabbanan connected to because when you start to do cumbersome things on Shabbat, you'll come to make things on Shabbat and Makeba Patish, the final hammer blow. Because you have to understand in those days, you know, you didn't just switch switch the tap on to get water, you had to go to you had to go and draw the water. It was a bothersome thing. So you don't do it if it's not necessary for Shabbat. Other Rishonim say it's a separate Isur of Tirha, Onik Shabbat, that you enjoy Shabbat, you don't do something of Tirha, you don't do something bothersome on Shabbat, and therefore you the Hachamim said that you can't take the rulav and put it into water on, on Yom Tov because of the, into new water on Yom Tov because of the Isur of Tirha. What you can do is you can put it back into the same water, but to fill up the bucket, put it in new water, that's not allowed on Yom Tov, uh, says the, and therefore the Mishnah Bura says, based on this, that it would not be permissible to, even if you have open flowers, I'm talking about, even if you have open flowers, you would only allow to put them into pre-existing water. And the flowers have already been in the water, right? If the vase is empty and Shabbat has commenced, you would not be allowed to fill up the vase with water and put the flowers in. But you think, you know, obviously today, when you think about it, it doesn't sound quite strange because today you just have to open the tap. So it's very, you know, it's very difficult to understand this, what kind of tirha there is involved in this today. And I agree with that. That's a problem. Um, and arguably, you could say that today things have changed so much that this no longer applies. But you need to have broad shoulders to say that. Um, but that's what the Ashkenazim say, that, um, that it's a problem to put flowers in, even open flowers, in a vase on Shabbat. However, Havadiyah, in his beautiful way as usual, he goes back to the sources. And he brings a Rashbah and he writes, all the Ahronim, had they seen this, they wouldn't have said what they said. The problem with Tirha is only when you're doing Tirha for something Muktzeh. 
And he proves this from the Shohan Aruch in another place, writes, You're allowed to pour water on vegetables to prevent them from withering. And he brings the Rashbah, who says the reason for this is because vegetables are not mukteh, they're edible. And anything which is not mukteh, the problem of tirha doesn't apply. It only applies to mukteh items. The Ashkenazim say, no, that you're only allowed to water and uh, water things, you know, draw water for food items, but not for anything else. But the Rashbah clearly doesn't say that. And that's how I just says all the Ahronim didn't say didn't see this. But the Rashbah clearly says the problem is it's a problem of mukteh. The Rulav on Yom Tov, beyond its use of, of mitzvah, is mukteh. And therefore, you're not allowed to do a tirha for something which is mukteh. However, anything which isn't mukteh on Yom Tov or Shabbat, you are allowed to do isur tirha for. Hachamim didn't say you can't do something bothersome for something which you're allowed to move. It's part of my use of Shabbat. And therefore, there's no isur tirha with that. And therefore, Hamvadya rules clearly that you're allowed to refill the vase, fill the vase with water, do whatever you want. You can, uh, even for something which is not edible, even something like flowers, you're allowed to do so. But with the proviso, they can't be, it has to be fully, it has to be open. It can't be closed, right? But even that, as we've seen, is uh, many argue with that. So to conclude, Ashkenazim or Mahmir, when it comes to Zoraya, when it comes to putting flowers into uh, water on Shabbat, they will hold that you have to put it before Shabbat because to put it on Shabbat, you would have to, um, you would have to have uh, uh, the water, the flowers have to be fully open. And the water would have to be drawn and in the vase, um, and then you put it in. And even that, by the way, some are still mahmir. I'm not going to go into it, even that. But for us, Faradim, as long as you can certainly fill up the vase with water um, and you can put the flowers in, and according to Hamavadiyah, it would have to be um, it would have to be open in order to put it in. But there are others who are lenient with this, the Maharikash and others that you can even because you know, and that's that's the logical. That's the logical understanding. You know, it's not Zorea, Doraita. To say it's Nirake Zorea, it's similar to Zorea. You know, it's a Maharil, really, it's the Maharil's own Hidushtis. How, how much are we, are we bound by what the Maharil says? It's arguable. But that's what Hamavadya says, is that they should be open before putting them. But other flowers which are closed, other kinds of things you are allowed to put into a vase, but Ashkenazim would be Mahmir with regards to that. Okay, um, there's lots more to say about that, um, but we will um, we will continue with that next time. Are there any? If there are any specific melachot you want to be covered, anything which you feel you're weak on, you want to understand more, um, and if you know, feel free to uh, tell me. Put in the chat box. Uh, but what we discussed tonight are really two main melachot, which in which there are big differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim, and in which there are misconceptions. Firstly, kosher. We went through the different kinds of Sharim, we've said it's very difficult today for us Faradim to do a knot, which is not permissible on Shabbat, and Zorea with regards to the, the flowers. Is it permissible to throw water on the lawn whilst it's raining? It's a really interesting question, that. Really good question. Um, many allow it because they say that uh, you're not doing anything. It's not an act of watering because it's the, they're already full. The, the, the grass or the flowers are already full, however much water they can, they can take. Uh, the Petah Haddavir says that, um, what's, uh, Petah um, 
his name will come back to me in a moment. Um, but uh, it's a mahrokit ahronim, you know, some are mahmir, some are lenient, but the logic is with you, Abuka, that, um, that it makes sense to be lenient because, um, uh, because it, it, you know, there's no, there's no act of watering that because it's, it's totally, totally full. Okay, any questions on what we've learned? Any comments? So next time, next week, we'll continue at 30. We'll do some more melachot in which there are big divides between Ashkazim and Sfaradim. And so far, we've seen the lenient ones, all the lenient ones. We will see in due course that it's not always one way. There are some humrot which we Sfaradim have, again, which unfortunately, Sfaradim do not know. Good, thank you, Miguel. Pontromeli. Good, thank you for reminding me. Uh, he allows it. Um, there are there are humrot especially when it comes to Bishul, um, which uh, Sfaradim do not know, and they were around Ashkenazim, again, the wrong way around. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that, Bezat Hashem, in next week or the week after that. Hannah, you want to say something? Just a quick question, Bob, following what you said today, and I think that's an obvious one, but I just want to check with you. So from this would follow a potted land, you are not for water in Shabbat, obviously, because they are in a pot and they're covered with soil. And Excellent and question. Milk. Excellent question. It's asur, but what, it will depend if it's asur from the Torah of Hachamim, whether it's in the garden. No, at home. A home will only be the Rabbanan. No, why? Because it's not your neck from the ground. It's not doesn't get nutrients from the ground. Even though there's soil in the pot. Yes, it has to be correct. Okay. It has to get from the ground itself. Atzitz, yeah, it has to be atzitz nakuv. It has to be a perforated pot in on the ground. Ah, the, okay. So it would be a sur, but from the hachamim only. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. Good, everyone. Have a wonderful evening. Nice to see you all. And thank you for staying on a bit longer. See you, Bezat Hashem, next week. Thank Have you a very great much, week. Rabbi. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for now, folks. Have a wonderful day.